Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we are, according to various laws, uh, supposed to uh, be very careful with their cultural heritage. And you know what? If that's what the law is, I, w- I like to obey the law. But think of it. They kill our people. They blow up our people. And then we have to be very gentle with their cultural institutions. But I'm okay with it. It's okay with me. I will say this. If Iran does anything that they shouldn't be doing, they're going to be suffering the consequences, and very strongly. We have the votes, once the impeachment trial has begun, to pass a resolution essentially the same, very similar to the 100 to nothing vote in the Clinton uh, trial. We are not looking to start a war with Iran, but we are prepared to finish one. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Happy 2020! Let me look over my new at-a-glance calendar that I got in my stocking because I always forget stuff. 2020 is a leap year and something else. Okay, Epiphany, Tishabov, Tubishvat, the Festival of the Trees, Mercury trying to cancer. Ooh, I need to remember that. The badminton semifinals, oral surgery day, Oktoberfest, Santa Con. Oh, wait, going back to November. It's an election year. So, yes, election day is 10 months away just over the human gestation period, and it is never too early to get out the vote. Evicting Trump from the White House in November and getting him quarantined where he can't hurt people, as many people, ever again, will require two and only two things. So keep your eye on these balls. Vigilance about cheating and turnout. All right, let me break this down. Vigilance about cheating means that, as we know, Trump and co. cheated to win last time can see the Mueller report for evidence of that, and they are cheating as we speak. This means everything from voter suppression, hacking voting software, hacking actual machines, courting foreign interference, producing outright lies, and hacking humans. That's what the Oxford Internet Institute says has been done to Americans by Fox News, chronic hyperstimulating lies that use porn and snuff in social media, and the emboldening of doomsday cults like QAnon, and whatever those are that Bill Barr and Mike Pompeo belong to. Anyway, I think you can address the people you know who are enthralled to Fox News or doomsday cults. Maybe I'm optimistic, but if you express compassion for how hard it must be to square their recent beliefs with their values and common sense, I do think the people you know who are under the spell of Fox or other cults will listen up. So you can let that start the conversation. Just respect that the mental exertion of these people being in a cult is not nothing. And also, while you have their attention, point out how Fox zeroes in on sex and death and really leverages porn, the leggy hosts, and snuff in the form of bloodthirsty, angry male entertainers to spike cortisol. These are people that did not decide to watch porn and snuff, but had it smuggled in on them by Roger Ailes. And now they are addicted. Hyperarousal of this kind is not a good place to be. It's speedy and disorienting and can be actually painful. And some people will change not when you argue with them, not when you present facts, but when the pain gets too bad. And for them, when we're thinking toward November, some rest for the Fox cultists, like staying home with some tea or a bath on Election Day, could really help. As for election security to prevent cheating, consider working with or donating to an organization like the National Election Defense Coalition, which aims to build an effective movement across party lines to secure vulnerable electronic voting systems. On voter suppression, it's the ACLU that's most committed to this issue. They've always been. So go to their site on voting rights and fighting voter suppression. Find out how you can help. And that brings me to turnout, the second part of this. We've got to get out the damn vote. The more people vote, the more they vote for Democrats. So campaign like hell for your candidate. Get behind the nominee 
whoever it is, and then start knocking on doors and turning out all the voters. Vigilance and turnout. It could be a great year. Okay, my guest today is Kate Brannon. She's the editorial director of Just Security, the one that scored that scoop last week, the unredacted version of the emails between Michael Duffy, the associate director of national security programs at OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, and Elaine McCusker, the acting Pentagon comptroller. These are the ones that show Donald Trump just last summer, insisting that Ukraine would be denied aid it had been promised by Congress, while, as usual, a person with a conscience, in this case, Elaine McCusker, flags Trump's behavior as abnormal, dangerous, and unprincipled. Welcome to Trumpcast, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. So you had a huge holiday season. It was a big one. We don't say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. We just say what's happening with Ukraine on right. Trumpcast. <laughs> Walk me through how this incredible scoop at Just Security happened. We can start at the beginning or in December when the Center for Public Integrity, they were in FOIA litigation with the Trump administration over a set of emails. And a court, a judge ordered the Trump administration to release the emails to mm -hmm. the Center for Public Integrity. And the Trump administration did so in two big batches, and they totaled almost 400 pages of emails, but they were heavily, heavily redacted. And there were a few sort of nuggets in there that were interesting, uh, particularly they had an email from Mike Duffy, who's in charge of national security programs at OMB, mm -hmm. to the Defense Department saying it was like maybe an hour and a half after the July 25th phone call mm -hmm. between Trump and Zelensky saying it's sort of the official letter saying, look, we're going to do this hold, even though there had been talks about it before that. The hold is happening. And also, this is sensitive. So let's keep it among kind of a small group. So that was an email that they actually released. This was is mostly about the hold on military aid, not about the meeting in the White House to announce the investigation, fraud investigation into into Joe Biden. This is between the officials who sort of are in charge of implementing the hold, like the day-to-day -day mechanism of holding up money that is supposed to be going out and being contracted and being used to buy weapons. Right. So it's between OMB and the Pentagon money people for the most so part. This is the real minds of a quid pro quo. This is, <laughs> these are the people that are down there quitting and pro quoing as <laughs> if they were in a salt mine. Right. Well, they're on one. They're kind of doing the the quid or the quo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're tasked with carrying out half of it. Yes. And so I was made aware that I had an opportunity to view these same emails without the redactions. And it came in right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I sort of, you know, got through Christmas uh, with my family mm -hmm. and then turned my attention to what was just handed to me and started to read them. And they read like, you know, because first they didn't come in chronological order. So I spent a long time just sort of sorting them out from June through October mm -hmm. and then started to read them. And they tell a real story about mostly the Pentagon being, you know, having real questions about why this is happening, mm -hmm. not getting very good answers, and then raising their concerns about the legality of it and whether or not they're going to be able to spend all of the money by the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th, mm. if, in fact, the president changes his mind and lifts the hold. And it's very clear, hmm. too, as you read them, that there's no policy review going on. There's no process that's happening to assess the value of the money or the efficacy of the program or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. just like when when is you know, when is leadership meeting with the president? Did he decide to change it? Did he change his mind? Nope, nope, nope. Hold, 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 hmm. hold. But you say they still are questioning the legality of it. You mean the legality of how to handle the budget, or are they questioning the hold itself? They question the hold itself at the beginning, and I think when they don't get very good answers, they kind of and the and the orders are very clear. You need to implement this. Yeah, like, that's one of the things you found. Yeah, the legality part of it is there's a law called the Impoundment Control Act, which was passed after President Nixon, and it requires the executive branch to spend money the way Congress appropriated it. Mm. Once Congress appropriates money and says this is how it has to be spent this year, mm -hmm. the White House has not that much wiggle room to, like, change 
the direction of that money mm-hmm. to not spend it or spend it on something else. Mm-hmm. And if they want to do that, they have to notify Congress because Congress has the power of the purse mm-hmm. and they get to decide how the money is spent. What a surprise. And a real departure. Trump doesn't <laughs> seem to have notified Congress. So the um, Pentagon is saying, one, we think you need to notify Congress. Mm-hmm. And then basically continuously raising this Empowerment Control Act saying, and the real sort of drop dead date is mid-August. By that point, they say we can no longer guarantee that if the hold is lifted, we'll be able to spend all this money by the end of the fiscal year, Hmm. which will be in violation of the Empowerment Control Act. And what happens is money gets impounded, meaning it's not spent and it goes back to the U.S. Treasury. It basically disappears. And so they start warning OMB We now can't vouch for the fact that we'll be able to spend all the money. And then they start actually telling them. And some of it's a bit exaggerated in the end Mm. because I think it was early September. They say, look, now we're probably not going to be able to spend $120 million Mm -hmm. of this $250 million program Mm -hmm. that you've lost it. Like Mm -hmm. that's what's going to get impounded. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, in the end, when the hold is lifted on September 11th, the Pentagon was unable to get $35 million out the door, Mm. which means – I mean, in essence, it violated the Empowerment Control Act. Hmm. Like, it it wasn't able to spend that money in time. And so Congress actually had to write legislation, which went largely unnoticed at the time. It was, like, tacked on to a continuing resolution with the budget. Right. Extending the money and allowing them to spend it. I mean, and this was the year of the shutdown. So there's just all kinds of paralysis and ways around the paralysis and and Trump acts and every office is thrown into disarray. Yeah. What did these exchanges sound like? Because we've had a taste of just weird emails sometimes on insecure servers saying, if it's what you say, I'd love it. Right. Um, one of my favorites is Paul Manafort's, how can we use to get whole? joining the Trump campaign so he could get out of debt. or And then, of course, we've seen the texts for, uh, relevant to this from Sondland and others, Taylor. So is there a certain formality to them because they are citing laws? They're not that formal. They sound more like, you know, two people in an office sort of doing their jobs okay. in regular communication. The main characters are Elaine McCusker, who mm-hmm. kind of emerges as like the new Trump-era heroine in a like lot a, of ways. A new Fiona Hill. Totally. Okay. <laughs> Um, I just feel like time and time again, women seem to be the ones sort of raising their hands saying, yeah, there's something wrong here. Yeah. So it's the most of the emails are between her and this guy, Mike Duffy, who works at OMB. Mm-hmm. And they seem to have like a pretty, you know, collegial uh, back and forth over the summer. She keeps telling him kind of the same thing. And he seems va- like kind of receptive to it. And what's she telling him? She's saying, you know, the, the, basically what I was saying before we're not going to be able to spend this money in time. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the date is mid-August. Then August comes and goes, okay, now she actually asks a few times, uh, have you started the impoundment paperwork? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, are you doing it? Like, you're impounding the money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can hear her growing increasingly frustrated. Mm-hmm. She's like, I keep telling OMB that this is what's happening, that this is the thing that you're jeopardizing. And the real frustration for her is it keeps, it's either like they're dismissing it or mm-hmm. they're ignoring, I don't know, they're ignoring it on purpose, but she really feels like that they are publicly and privately mischaracterizing all of these warnings coming from the Pentagon. Hmm. And so the emails go back and forth, and then there's this great, ex- well, I don't know if it was great for them, but I enjoyed it, um, exchange <laughs> on September 9th where panic is really rising at this point. Like, this hold is stretched on for two months. There have been really high-level meetings. There was the phone call between Trump and Zelensky. There was a meeting Pence met with Zelensky at the beginning Mm -hmm. of September in Poland. And for the officials, they were waiting for those moments to to break the dam. Mm -hmm. And they don't. The hold's still in place. And we know why, because Trump was waiting on this commitment to investigate Joe Biden, which hadn't really come through yet. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so panic's really rising because September 30th is around the corner. And McCusker's frustration is just like coming through. Like she's also worried at this point that the Pentagon is going to be the one left exposed, mm-hmm. you know, responsible for th- violating the law. Hmm. And she writes kind of, you know, another email to Duffy saying, you know, just another kind of reiteration of what she's been saying all along. He writes back to her. He adds some Pentagon lawyers, OMB lawyers to the CC line. Mm -hmm. And he writes this very formal letter to her, which is totally different than the way they've kind of been like chatting back and forth. Uh, And it's this dress down of her saying, 
you and really the Defense Department haven't done any of the preparatory work and any of the, because all along OMB has kind of told the Pentagon, do everything you can up until obligating the money. Mm -hmm. Like, do all the little things along the way so that when the hold lifted, you can just Mm -hmm. go and we're not in jeopardy of losing all Mm -hmm. of it. And she, throughout the summer, is like, okay, I'm trying, but like, there's only so much you can do until you let us spend the money. Yeah. And so he writes this stern letter to her saying, you didn't do any of the things you were supposed to do. And so if the money's impounded and basically we break the law, it's going to be on you and the Defense Department. Wow. And so she then writes back to him, takes everybody off the CC line Mm -hmm. and writes, you can't be serious. I'm speechless. And I was like, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, you were speechless. (laughs) Um, And and then does he reply to that or has he shifted tone? You know, that way Gordon Sondland did with Taylor where, you know, they were kind of, like you say, like sort of sibling-ish around this. And then Sondland disappears and comes back with, there is no quid pro quo, you know. (laughs) What's interesting, there's no response to that email. I don't know how they dealt with that in that moment. I don't know if Duffy picked up the phone, but there's no email back. There's none that... I've seen. And then I'm really like surprised because then later, so September 9th, that happens and the hold's actually lifted on the 11th. Mm-hmm. And Duffy emails and says, I just got word we're lifting the hold. Like, go, 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 go. And she's like, all right, we're going. And we're moving out. And uh, we're moving out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And they, you know, move as fast as they can basically to get this money out the door. And does Duffy ever tell her why it's being held up or what they're waiting for? And does she ever ask? No, it's a great question. So she keeps alluding to throughout the summer, like, I know we need leadership needs space for decision making, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like whatever this is about. Yeah. Like, fine. But it's always like a but. But this is really unworkable on my end. Yeah. I know, like. We all need some time to like, but there's no actual policy review or anything like that being referred to. And so then at the end, you know, when Duffy's like, we're lifting it, she's like, do you know why? Yeah. And he says, no, no details. I'll let you know when I find out. So there's no rationale for why it's lifted at the end. Do you think it seemed clear McCusker didn't know? Do you think Duffy knew and was keeping her in the dark? I think at that moment he was just as clueless. Right. Yeah. Ugh. And who was handling him? Who was telling him, you know, does he say, I just spoke to who? So he is speaking. There's this interesting sort of line of succession at OMB. This is like a real OMB story, which is a pretty wonky place. Yeah. um, Part of it's because Mick Mulvaney used to be and remains the acting director of OMB, but he was the director of OMB. Then he becomes the White House chief of staff Mm -hmm. and he brings this guy, Robert Blair, with him over to the chief of staff's office. Okay. Blair, before that, had Mike Duffy's job in charge of Uh. national security programs. And so Trump tells Mulvaney, hold up the money. Mm -hmm. Mulvaney tells Blair, who's now his his chief staff, and Blair tells Duffy, his old colleague back at OMB. So that's sort of – it's this line of OMB officials Mm – so Blair is not um, is not Duffy's boss, but he's the one that it's that's the line of communication between mm-hmm. the president's office and OMB is People between Duffy and Blair. People who jobs act in 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 kind of quotation marks in their positions, yeah. as it is in in so many parts of Trump's administration. Yeah, and then there are these this other set of emails that the New York Times has sued for mm-hmm. between Robert Blair, Mick Mulvaney's chief of staff, mm-hmm. and Mike Duffy. And the Trump administration has told the judge that not only are we not releasing them redacted, we're just not releasing them at all. Hmm. And so that's where it stands right mm-hmm. now is that there's this set of emails out there between these two that they don't even want to release all blacked out. So what do you think they were specifically wanting to avoid releasing in the redacted version of the first set of emails, the ones you got? I mean, there were a couple of smoking gun sentences. There were a few kind of smoking gun. You know, there's this email from Duffy to McCusker on the August 30th. Mm-hmm. The Times had reported a week before my story came out this meeting that we hadn't known about before where Pompeo and Defense Secretary Mark Esper sit down with Trump on the 30th to talk Ukraine. And mm-hmm. the in, in my emails, it's clear people think that the whole will get lifted after this. Yep. And there's an email from Duffy to McCusker saying... After the meeting, clear direction from POTUS to yes. keep the hold. Yeah. So it's, you know, that obviously points the finger right at Trump that as late as late August when all of the, you know, none of the national security people like mm-hmm. the cabinet supported 
the hold for policy reasons. Yeah. And then um, at that point, the Pentagon had, you know, made its concerns about the Impoundment Control Act loud and clear. And mm-hmm. so despite all that, Trump is still as late as late August saying, nope, I still want the hold mm-hmm. on the money. In Schiff's questioning and in congressional testimony, it was still not totally clear why the hold was released. I mean, it was sort of that there'd been a break in the news and they felt pressure and Trump finally felt pressure to do it. And the Trump people wouldn't cop to that because, um, well, they didn't give reasons. They didn't give reasons for the hold and they didn't give reasons for the release on the hold. Right. Well, they, but this they returned to, to this a little bit. They returned to this pretext that like. I wanted to suss out Zelensky yes, that's and right. see that he wasn't corrupt. Right. And then, like, I just wanted to make sure the money was being spent well. But, like, it's all pretty obviously nonsense because yeah. there's no formal process um, going on. And you talked with Zelensky on July 20th. Like, yeah. It doesn't that doesn't add up. Also, it might have been I mean, it'd be interesting to compare with other executive decisions that come to OMB, well, including around the shutdown that have some explanation or timeline attached to them. So, you know, if it's evidently POTUS is wants to test the resolve of Zelensky and doesn't want to commit to this aid until after the new year or whatever, that would somehow it just I wonder how much OMB is usually in the loop on big decisions like this one. Well, the other piece of it is if you do want to do some kind of legitimate corruption look yeah. or yeah. whatever, tell Congress. Like, yeah, no, right, exactly. <laughs> notify Congress. Exactly. Follow the law. In particular, though, I wonder how much OMB, you know, just gets blind orders like this. It's just somehow I feel like in ordinary times there would be certain formality to this, you know. Well, in ordinary times, it would probably go to the National Security Council who would mm. convene an interagency process and they would task out certain reports and they would com- collect data about the corruption situation in Ukraine. They would yeah. review it. They, you know, like that's yeah. how it would look. So OMB would be on board with what was happening and the timeline a little bit and at least why there's a timeline. I mean, that I can imagine for McCusker. I mean, we talk about OMB being wonky and bean counters, but also they're working in the she's working in the Pentagon and, on you know, is takes an interest in national security. Right. And I think having so many people um in Trump's brain, you know, where where all this is happening must be just demoralizing and vertigo creating even beyond the actual illegality of this. You know, even if he'd had even if look, even if he had thought, yeah, exactly. Zelensky needs to investigate Burisma before I'm going to release this money. That seems like even something that a McCusker could take in. At least a reason for why all this chaos and um, the other an email that was released that was seen before I got my hands on them that was released publicly was from a U.S. defense contractor, L3, Mm -hmm. to the Pentagon um, saying um, it was before the Politico story broke the news of the hold. So it was like in mid-August saying, Mm -hmm. you know, there it was a company that's waiting on its contract Mm -hmm. that's part of the – sort of supply of equipment to Ukraine. Right. And they're like... Which is also the sale of equipment to Ukraine, not just... it's not They're not just endowing them with the... Right? Aren't, aren't the javelins... It, there's um, two... How does this work? The Pentagon money is used to buy equipment mostly in weapons from U.S. defense companies. So okay. defense companies are certainly making money off this. Got it. And we're basically buying them on behalf of Ukraine. Mm. And mm-hmm. then um, separately, there's a State Department chunk of money where we give Ukraine money... That then they use to buy weapons, um, I see. Okay. Pr- mostly from U.S. defense contractors. U.S. defense contractors. For the most part, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was one of the early <laughs> questions of Trump in June. Sometimes you step into just like old-fashioned corruption, that we, you know, <laughs> right. Halliburton-style corruption that now seems quaint, even though it's still galling and it still sets off another alarm Right, this bell. is just the regular muck of Washington, yeah. D.C. But in June, Trump gets made aware. The Pentagon announces, we are going to spend $250 million for weapons for Ukraine. It's great. Mm-hmm. And there's a news, there are a few news stories written about it. Mm-hmm. And Trump gets his hands on one of them. And that's what sparks his, whoa, what? What is this? What's this money going to Ukraine? Yeah. So these questions come down from Trump to OMB to the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. Please answer these for the president. He wants to know, one, are U.S. companies getting any of this money? Mm -hmm. Two, what do European countries do to pitch in? Three, where does this money come from? Mm -hmm. And so the Pentagon, you know, in less than a day, turns around the answers, which is one, yeah, it's almost all U.S. companies that make are going to make money off this. Mm-hmm. Two, European countries do a lot for Ukraine, 
blah, 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 spend, um, send weapons. And the European Union spends like $2 billion uh, for their economy or something Do they like remind that. him how important Ukraine is as a defense <laughs> against against Putin's imperialist yes. ambitions? And then for where does the money come from? They're like, it comes from Congress and we kind of have to spend it because yeah. they appropriate it. And so as early as June, Trump has his questions answered. Right. And at first they think, all right, we answered him. So like, this should be good. Mm -hmm. We'll get the money. And then no, like that didn't satisfy it. So anyway, in August, though, this defense contractor's like, where's the money? Mm -hmm. Which shows, um, you know, sort of the level of chaos and how many people it was affecting. Like it was going out into the world and U.S. companies were being affected by it and Mm -hmm. um, were made aware of it and were, you know, asking questions about it. Mm -hmm. And there's one other point I wanted to make about the redactions and why why these redactions in these. And it was clear. And as I was reading them, I then had to go to the redacted copies and compare. Wait, did that see the light of day originally? Yeah. And it became very clear that all of the embarrassing and incriminating information had been blacked out. Okay. And that's kind of the separate story of my story. Yeah. Is there's the story that the redactions tell, and then there's the story of the redactions, and it's, you know, just another part of the level of obstruction that mm-hmm. the administration is engaged it's in. It's always two parts. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think you and I have said we're volume one people when it comes to the Mueller <laughs> right. report. Um, right. But, there, but there's vo- the crime and the cover-up. Yeah. yeah. But, but once you see those black lines, you can't. I mean, they just signal to the system obstruction. And it's just like most material form. Yeah. I mean, even there's this one exchange between McCusker and Duffy where McCusker says, have you started the impoundment paperwork? Blacked out. Duffy. I, oh, that, I'm not tracking that. That you can read. <laughs> then McCusker oh. being like, yeah, the legal teams suggest we do that. Blacked out. <laughs> like, wow. And that shows that the redactions, you know, are not for the reason that they claim they redacted it is uh. for the deliberative process. You're not supposed to be able to see like oh, sort of interagency deliberations is the the FOIA sort of reason they noted. OK, yeah. But if you're only blacking out what one half of the conversation is, like, that doesn't really add up or justify it. Do you think our great redactor, obstructor, Bill Barr, even touched this? Or or is it the lawyers that Duffy CCs who who helped with the redaction? Or, I mean, what's your guess? Because we've also seen sloppy redactions from this administration, you know, things left left unredacted. And so it seems like they brought in a squad that would do it somewhat more carefully. It's an open question who did these redactions. So the Justice Department is representing the government in this FOIA lawsuit Mm -hmm. with the Center for Public Integrity. Mm -hmm. So certainly Justice Department lawyers had their hands on them at some point. Mm -hmm. But whether or not they farmed them out back to OMB to take a look because they were more familiar with the material, I don't don't know um, for sure how it was handled. But I've seen people say, like, given the sensitivity and the high stakes of this, yeah. it probably went somewhat high up. Yeah. <laughs> so just like, oh, let's let that rest for a second. <laughs> somewhat high up. Yeah. So we pick camera presses in on you. <laughs> so now we have the Iran situation, and further messing up your holiday was that, well, you were like slated to go on Rachel Maddow's show with this scoop, and then Trump wagged the dog and distracted from Ukraine successfully. And so you didn't make the Rachel Maddow show and, and, and instead the Iran story did. So that's right. how wagging the dog works. Yeah, I got a front row seat to that. So it came out on Thursday morning and I was blown away by the impact it was having by noon. Like yeah. Yeah. Senator Schumer had seized on it. Um, Speaker Pelosi had made a comment on it. I knew it was a big story, but I just hadn't Probably because half my mind was elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah, stuffing stockings and yeah, with your three kids. Yeah. And I think part of it was I didn't appreciate the insight it gave into the steps they were taking to hide things Mm -hmm. and that. This was sort of a way of taking that power away from them. Yeah. It also suggested at a point where McConnell's doing his best to uh, doing his form of, you know, redacting and obstruction, suggested that the truth will out. So it was sort of like this moment of thinking all of what happened with Ukraine will come out. We have all these good witnesses. There was momentum to the impeachment and that maybe there'll be such a preponderance of evidence, including these documents, that the Senate will have to give in and hear testimony from people. People like McCusker and Duffy. Yeah, it seemed to give some like um, 
wind beneath the yes. wings that Thursday. And yeah. then it's true. I was booked to do a few TV shows that night. And I remember I was in the car headed to one of the studios. That and Thursday was last Thursday. <laughs> yeah, a million years ago. And I saw the news break out of Iraq. And at first it was only being reported by like Iraqi state TV. Mm. And I just thought, oh, if this is true, there's no way I'm getting on the air tonight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I think that happened around 6.30. And by 9.30, I think the Pentagon had made a statement about it and had, you know, confirmed that they had taken out Soleimani. It does seem almost to go without saying that to distract from impeachment, Trump threatened war crimes and may have committed war crimes in Iran. I mean, it is it was such a rough weekend, I think, for Americans trying to process that this is really happening. Like, there's no ends he won't go to to stay in office. Yeah, the level of chaos. And then yesterday, I just thought it was like a banner day over at the Pentagon with mm-hmm. the draft letter. And yeah. then, oh, we didn't mean to send it about yeah. the troops getting pulled out. Who it's, hasn't hit send on something uh, inadvertently? <laughs> to um, the Iraqi government. <laughs> to the Iraqi government, exactly. And what about, you've seen this threat today from the Iranians that they might target the cultural sites known as Trump properties. Yeah, I did see that. I was just listening to the Lawfare podcast yesterday about the strike. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember who it was on there, but they, and that was taped over the weekend, I think, or even last week. They immediately said the Trump properties will be front and center, like the Iranian government. Mm-hmm. They kind of like to make things personal. Mm. Like if you do X, then, you know, we're going to figure out a way to kind of get a similar flavor. I mean, it's interesting because that has been, I mean, with mafia tactics being used at the highest levels of government, we have come to th- that was definitely repaying Trump in coin for his own actions that were are are quite personal, obviously, and driven by his like spiteful idea that someone's trying to get the better of him. He even th- seemed to think this with Zelensky. And, you know, you're taking money from us. And so we're going to get you where you live, you know, expose you to Russian forces in that war. And, yeah, there was something about... Iranians coming back with that. It it, reminded me a little bit of a more effective use of this, depending on, um, I'm not sure what the general consensus is on tactics like this. But, you know, the Magnitsky Act, Bill Browder's uh, Magnitsky Act is very much about seizing the property of oligarchs that will hurt them where they live, right? So it's like, obviously, these aren't UNESCO sites that are, uh, you know, Mar-a-Lago, as much as it might surprise Trump, is not a cultural site of interest to all Americans. It's not the Winter White House. It's it's (laughs) not the Winter White House. It is, it's not a, it's not protected by UNESCO. And at the same time, you know, when I hear Browder talk about this particular penthouse apartment belonging to XYZ oligarch and how the first thing you need to do is lock the guy out of that apartment. Mm-hmm. And then that puts pressure on a regime like Putin's. And the, the Iranians probably see a Putin-like leader in Trump who, yeah. you know, needs to be blocked from going to Florida and needs to be you know, <laughs> travel banned from Florida. I think that might have to happen. My boss was reminding me, we were talking about these Trump ta- like Trump Towers being targets yesterday, and he was reminding me that at the beginning of the administration, we were really focused on the emoluments stuff yeah. that I had said, and I don't remember saying it, that by Trump not divesting of his company mm. and these properties, he's creating these massive security vulnerabilities all over the world yeah. that the U.S. government now has to protect. Right. They're almost like these embassies. Totally. Um, yeah. And now, um, I mean, they'll have to operate in that way now. The um, the. I think Ivanka Trump's property in Baku was was also was partly funded by the Iranian National Guard. So, in better times, better days for the relationship between the you know the thugs in Iran and the thugs in our White House. Right. Um, but um, yeah, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought about I hadn't thought about the security. They're risk like of extensions of the government. Yeah. So one thing that your um, this scoop about these emails about Ukraine and the aid did was sort of set the stage for the confusion when the president makes a decision by fiat that should be made in in committees and with, as you say, interagency cooperation and, and consulting at least the Pentagon. I mean, how in the world, with all the at least rumors and leaks that, that Esper and Pompeo were, were, you know, gave him this option as the worst option in hopes that he would, you know, choose a more moderate response to the Iranian action. 
it seems a little bit like what happened around Ukraine that, you know, just the, you know, your noble king is mad and we need to just contain him. Like we've heard about from Gary Cohen and so on. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. Can you have any guesses about did OMB have to consult on the drone strikes? Probably in a normal situation, they would be part of the National Security Council meetings discussing those options. I don't know if those were held. I think on the drone strikes, it's not clear to me yet how much it was the crazy option Trump took versus Ah. had the support of Esper and Pompeo. Uh, Certainly Pompeo, we know. And Pence. So I don't know if it was an outlier or they were, you know, it had real advocates. But there's this anecdote from a New Yorker article about the creator of The Apprentice. What's his name? Oh, Mark Burnett. Mark Burnett. And I think about it all the time where Trump would be, you know, they'd be taping The Apprentice and Trump wouldn't pay any attention to what had gone on during the week. And he'd breeze in at the end and he'd go, she's fired Mm -hmm. or he's fired. And he would pick like the crowd favorite who'd done really well all week. Yeah. And the producer would be like, oh, God, like. How are we going to make this make sense? And yeah. they'd have to go back to the footage, recut. watch hours of it, yeah. and recut it to create a story so that that golden person looked like the bad guy. Yes. And I think of it time and time again where Trump makes a decision and then they reverse engineer what happened to justify yeah. it. And so it's like with the, with the Ukraine thing, it's clear. It's like Trump decided this for these completely separate reasons. But now we're going to make up this reason about Ukrainian corruption and um, that the Europeans don't contribute enough. Mm-hmm. And it's all just a reverse engineer of mm-hmm. the actual situation. Yeah. And, and, you know, in some ways we in the media do it, too. Yeah. That, you know, even jumping to, well, as, you know, if in the diagnostic George Conway realm, you know, a narcissist would do this. That's what, you know, yeah. we, we could have predicted this. And I've talked about that, that boardroom um, dynamic um, in The Apprentice on, on this show before, the total oh, caprice. Yeah. He looks at one person like he's going to kill them. Or sorry, fire them. I'm thinking of, of <laughs> mafia scenes where someone, you know, looks like they're after someone and then they go shoot the other guy. Yeah. And that's what he often did. You know, no, it's you for coming to his defense and being weak or whatever. And then, yeah, as you say, the producers have to scramble to make sense of it. But well, we've been doing this for three years, scrambling yeah. to make sense of these like just hits in the face that we keep getting. Well, I was going to say with Soleimani, it does have a bit of that. The like, why now? Yeah. With him. And I feel like a little bit of this, the public argument they're making about there was an imminent attack on U.S. forces feels a little bit like the Trump producers. Mm -hmm. At least the intelligence, you know, that they went and briefed the Hill last week and, you know, certain, you know, lawmakers came out and said, I was not persuaded like that mm. there was an imminent attack. Mm-hmm. We have a piece out, actually it's not out yet, but I edited it for Just Security about, you know, right be- if there was in fact an imminent attack afoot, usually you would seek some kind of travel warning mm-hmm. go out mm-hmm. or you would see a movement mm-hmm. of embassy, pe- you know, there are things that are precursors. To terror alert or, you know, yeah. the, the orange and red alerts we used to get after 9-11. Yeah, and certainly mm-hmm. there were things going on in Iraq. There was um, this U.S. contractor that we don't know anything about that was killed. Mm. And then, you know, what happened at the embassy. But, you know, whether that spells something else that was about to happen isn't clear. And also, does that set the stage for an assassination? Um, Exactly. Yeah. Like a U.S. contractor is killed, so we kill a top Iranian general. Right. Like that seems like an odd tit for tat. Yeah. Um, And also seemingly illegal. That Yeah, that would not be a justification for that action. I mean, just the, the language on, on Twitter that Trump, I mean, the other thing is Stephen Miller, whoever it is that's concocting these reverse engineered narratives, have such a tall order because Trump is is telling the truth <laughs> he on Twitter, every time. Of, you know, essentially saying, I killed Soleimani right. and I'm going to target 52 cultural sites. And right. then everyone else has to be like, that's actually not what happened. We fi- I fired, he fired Comey because the FBI had low morale. I fired Comey because of the Russia thing. Yes, <laughs> always. I know. Yeah, there are there are definitely been people saying, you know, his honesty. We think of him as a liar, but he does voice his give voice to his id always. Yeah, and then leaves other people to lie about it. I remember uh, Giuliani said he he uh, his epitaph might be uh, he lied for Mr. Trump. I mean, the willingness of other people, including you think people who would know better, like Pompeo and Esper. 
to lie for him and make sense of it. It's almost like a compulsive desire to lend some continuity to the these caprices. Yeah, I think when it comes to Soleimani that Esper and I shouldn't speak for Esper, but Pompeo certainly, I think they feel justified if the strike was a revenge killing. Like, yeah. you know, Soleimani, there are these Iranian-backed militias operating in Iraq at the height of the Iraq war, killing lots of U.S. soldiers. You know, that was several years ago. So certainly a bizarre and illegal reason to kill him now. Mm-hmm. But I think for the, for there's, there are certain people who think, you know, the U.S. has absolutely every right to take him out for those for kill it for quote unquote enabling the the killing of those US soldiers back then. It's just not you know, it has no putting the legal issues aside, which are huge, like yeah. it's certainly no way to craft like US strategy or protect US strategic interests. Yeah. Yeah. Could anyone have objected to it? Anyone, you know, in a position to to release the drones, you know, simply refused to do it. There were there was all this talk around the time of Anonymous's first report that, you know, people were prepared to jump on him if he was going to turn, you know, not give him the nuclear codes or not let him turn the key or whatever. I've seen a lot of people say that this would not have happened if Mattis were the defense secretary. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, Trump saying, I'm going to bomb cultural sites. Mark Esper, to his credit yesterday, said, basically, we wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. We will follow the laws of war. Yeah, that's right. He said that. We'll follow the laws of war. I mean, when you say they have a right to retaliate, they definitely believe they have a right to retaliate in some kind of Pompeo divine revelation, whatever it is, loony world. But it's not totally clear that Trump can order an assassination of a government official, right? I mean, if Suleiman is a terrorist, he may have more powers or more license. But if he's a government official, ordering a direct assassination falls in a in a gray area. Well, the thing so with Soleimani, in real life and according to the Trump administration, he was both. He was a government yeah. official who supported and planned terrorist attacks. Yeah. That's true. And then recently, maybe a year ago, the Trump administration designated the Quds Force and Soleimani, I believe, but definitely the Quds Force as a foreign terrorist organization under the State Department, which mm-hmm. was, you know, a move that was criticized by a lot of people in terms of like, its strategic value, mm-hmm. uh, it you know, this whole story with Iran has been one of escalation. And mm-hmm. so that was one step along this escalatory path was mm-hmm. when they designated that group as a terrorist organization, you know, because it is a government entity, mm-hmm. it pissed off Iran and, you know, ratcheted up to where we are now. I mean, I'm sure you saw that Adam Schiff is thinking of now holding hearings, proposing holding hearings in the House about this attack about Trump's planned assassination of Soleimani. Yeah. And I mean, do you agree with me that 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 is an excellent idea in this, you know, long, slow period where the evidence is getting overwhelming that Trump one way or another should be removed from office? Absolutely. And I think the other thing that I've been watching closely is this war powers report. Mm -hmm. So when the president takes a strike like this and doesn't alert Congress. Yeah. He's required by law to send over a war powers report, which mm-hmm. over the weekend, I believe Trump tweeted like, this media post will serve as... Oh, yes, that's my- right. <laughs> right. I hereby declare. Yeah. Yeah. But then they also actually did send a war powers report. Okay. But they classified it, which is unheard of. Um, and so over on Capitol Hill... Um, members and their staff have to go down to a skiff to view it. Mm. And in the War Powers Report is the administration's articulation of the legal justification for why they took the strike. So it should indicate, are they relying on one of the um, AUMFs, the authorization Hmm. for use of military force? Mm -hmm. There are only two going right now. One was allowed us to invade Iraq Mm -hmm. in the first place, and the other one was passed after 9-11 to go after Mm al-Qaeda and its associated forces. And so killing an Iranian general, it's like a real stretch Mm -hmm. for either of those to Mm -hmm. qualify. And then it should articulate if, in fact, he's relying on it, whether he's using his Article 2 powers as commander in chief, you know, and this would come to this question of imminence. Mm -hmm. If an attack is imminent and about to happen, he does have the authority to do a strike like this and not alert Congress. Mm -hmm. But it requires, you know, an imminent attack. So anyway, that should all be laid out in this document. And usually it's available to the public and they have classified it. And so I think, you know, one of the reasons for holding public hearings is the public has a right to know what the case was for this. Mm -hmm. 
and what the plan is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and those questions when asked, I think, behind, you know, Congress to the executive branch, they're still not being forthcoming. It's like you really got to drag, like, you have to drag, it's like increasingly like, whether it's through FOIA or congressional mm-hmm. subpoena, like, they are not going to comply and provide information. So you have to just push, 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 I think, with every available tool. I think we're also going to see sometime in those documents that they're going to they're going to run out of anything that sounds plausible, even like in the Stephen Miller crazy matrix. And they'll start to be some like, but the king, our, our, our war powers, that's justification for, you know, for this attack is that the kingdom of heaven is soon to land in <laughs> Jerusalem and revelation is nigh. And whatever. I mean, it just. Well, you, you just, saw Pence's tweet. He was like, yes. Soleimani facilitated the 9-11, the 12 9-11 hijackers. <laughs> right. And it was like. Um, well, then the numerology of the fifty-two hostages taken in taken in in Tehran in the seventies, and then we're cited we're fifty-two cultural sites. I mean, that is some really quasi-religious lunatic thinking, and that is also you know we know why he did it the wag the dog play to get away from impeachment and maybe to, you know, spike his approval among the more hawkish of his followers. We know why Pompeo did it, because he has some idea of end times and a collision between Israel and Iran being the real, you know, that's going to really bring the end of the world that we all crave. We have Stephen Miller's thinking about xenophobia and clash of civilizations and whatever else. And these things are just all in counterpoint and then trying to make it sound like a secular considered decision by the U.S. government, by the Pentagon, by the National Security Council is getting harder and harder. It's just a vocabulary. These vocabularies cannot be reconciled. Yes. And there's no I mean, the other thing is there's clearly it it boggles my mind because, you know, having covered the Pentagon, they're really good at contingency planning. That's what they yeah. do. And so to watch this aftermath where. I mean, based on yesterday, the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Iraq does not appear to have been well planned out. Like, yes, right. It's not giving off. Like, if that's going to be a consequence of killing Soleimani, first of all, you should, con- if it's not the desired consequence, it mm-hmm. should at least be considered as a possible outcome and then planned for. Right. And, you know, based on this draft letter and, no, oh, we didn't mean to send it, it's like, is this really your A-level planning here? <laughs> yeah. So some people by which I mean me, <laughs> have speculated that um, that Trump's pardon of uh, of the the war criminal the the what's his name the, Gallagher Gallagher yeah. exactly um, and kind of deification of him um, lays the groundwork for him to um, you know be pardoned for for at least a groundwork for him to make a Colonel Jessup and a few good men argument that this is how the military works by decision making um, decision making by uh, clear headed men who you know do what they do because no one else can handle the truth or whatever um, and he there is exam are examples of him setting up doing pardons to set up what he's going to do or what what people around him might do just pardoning the worst of the world the worst people in the world someone was calling this vice signaling you know just just exactly how evil can you be i mean he's misunderstood the military from the get-go yeah he thinks it's a bunch of like tough violent guys who love violence right and it couldn't really be in my experience which is not i mean i'm sure there are exceptions to this but not my experience at all. And I remember in the beginning, you know, when he picked Jim Mattis to lead the Defense Department, he was like, mm. mad dog. dog. Yeah. And he just, you know, always used that. Yes. A nickname that Mattis himself hates. Yes. And just completely mischaracterizes sort of who yeah. Jim Mattis is. and Violent, volatile. Right. He, wa- he, wants, he wants them to be, to enact, yeah, his own id and... And I think he liked that Kelly had been at Gitmo and um, and was even, you know, suspected of, accused of gross mistreatment of prisoners after 9-11, force feeding and, and so on. And also had talked about how he wasn't going to be politically correct anymore. And certainly Gallagher wasn't politically correct. It was not politically correct. It, it, but I think of it as constitutionally correct mm-hmm. to, um, to assassinate Soleimani like this. And it's just part of the own the libs. Defiance. You know, you see Don Jr. showing up with 
an automatic weapon, just posing oh, with it good. with a picture of Hillary Clinton etched on it in prison, um, and also Crusader signs to signal more anti-Semitism and um, well, what's so scary, more bloody-mindedness. I was going to say, what's so scary with the military is, you know, the leadership there works so hard to create an environment of, you know, discipline yeah. and order and following the rule, like mm-hmm. following the rule of law and Trump through the Gallagher decision and through the way he talks about the military and through his promotion of torture and now war crimes mm-hmm. is eroding some of that. And just, you know, like just with the intelligence community or the FBI, mm-hmm. like watching that institution come under this assault mm-hmm. and just hoping it doesn't get changed, you know, like yeah. hoping he isn't able to change the culture there to, so that it looks more like, you know, a place where Gallagher would be yeah, I mean, welcome. Yeah. yeah. And just hoping it holds, you know, yeah. and hoping the leadership. Um, he seems like someone who would want to have Suleimani in, in, in the Pentagon. Trump does sometimes. That gets to this other piece of this thing that's just like, I, I feel silly that I'm so stunned by it. But the way that Republicans are turning it, are politicizing it. Mm-hmm. You know, Nikki Haley last night was like the only person who's applauding um, his death are Democrats. Mm-hmm. Like, or not applauding. Are the only person, people that are oh, sorry, not his right, death, right, mourning right, his death. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Are Democrats, right. Yeah. And I think Kevin McCarthy maybe said something along those mm-hmm. lines this morning. And it's like so gross. Yeah. And so divisive and shocking. Yes. It's just one of those, like, can you imagine if, you know, Obama said the same thing about Republicans with Osama bin Laden or something? No. Um, it just, yes. Republicans have stopped seeing any kind of national interest. And it's party politics writ large with a body count now. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> I have to say, I one of my, I, I did fail to predict that Trump would start a war or start what looks like it's going to become a war in this way. It seems like he likes to pardon. He likes to put people in harm's way by pulling troops back and then pardoning a lot of very violent people, sort of letting them out in the world rather than ordering attacks himself. You know, he had he'd pulled back and been squirrely with Iran in the past. And somehow, like all these other narratologists, I had decided that there I could see a pattern. And it's terrible now that he's cornered even more what he's capable of. I just feel like, you know, from this strike to some of the more domestic stuff, you know, if you're going to talk about people so violently, like to go to John Jr. with the Hillary gun. Yeah. We've already seen some of the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure there's much more to come. Like you can't use that level, that Mm -hmm. violent rhetoric for Mm -hmm. as long as he has and not sow the seeds for some really serious political violence. Thank you so much, Kate, for being here. Um, I love talking to you about these things, even when they're so harrowing. Thank you, Virginia. So that's it for today's show. What'd you think? Find us on Twitter and make 2020 yours. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And then go over to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus and become a Slate Plus member. Plus members get all of Slate's podcasts ad free, no ads for only $35 for that first year. And best of all, you'll be supporting our work. So go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Merritt Jacob. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.